0: Access, access all areas with hayden and b this show engages with hundreds of fans around the world bringing to you weekly news reviews competitions and auctions and much much more check out our website in excess, all and join the active and engaging community of amazing fans you also love in excess
1: well, hello, welcome to NXS Access All Areas, episode 112, uh, the podcast that dives deep into all things great about this band. Do it with my compadre, B, get them into the Rock Hall of Fame and have a lot of fun. How are you, B? I'm
0: fine. Thank you, mate. How are you doing yourself? Oh, you're, you're coughing away and sneezing. Bless you.
1: Oh well, the fourth flu of this winter here in Melbourne. So you know, hanging in there. Mm,
0: is it damp down there? I, I hear New South Wales Sydney side is um, really going through some awful floods at the moment.
1: It is sunny and blue skies, really? just
0: cold. Just cold, yeah.
1: Just cold. yeah. We're a little yeah, bit, just cold.
0: A little bit, um, a little bit of rain, but nothing to really complain about.
1: Well, we're very jealous of our Northern Hemisphere listeners Who might be enjoying the peak of their summer At the moment, so kudos to everybody in the Northern mm. Hemisphere. Yes, well, I guess we Always want to look back, be about our last Couple of uh, weeks' episodes with our Mixed Taste, but before that, I always like to say How has your In Excess week been? Mm.
0: Well, where, where do I start? Well, I got a phone call yesterday And I thought you'd been giving my Telephone number out, which was quite funny But you said yes. no, so um, Big no. hello to David From In Excessive. You went to see them in constant last week didn't you right.
1: yeah about 2 weeks ago um and I didn't give you a number out so hmm. he must have dug into the uh platforms and done a bit of lobbying and stuff like that but um, no my yeah, telephone number very, was
0: out there
1: <laughs> it's, it's it's great actually meeting a very uh humble in excess cover band is not oh, it Oh, very
0: <laughs> humble i mean the australian um, in excess tribute bands are great aren't they they are really um, mm. really um yeah appreciative of helping us and we're helping them <laughs> did you know that um, in
1: hey, sometimes you get sometimes there can be some snooty ones out there too, can't
0: there? <laughs> huh? Yes, very snooty. The humble
1: ones are fantastic to deal with. David as a gentleman. Yeah,
0: we like them. We put the humble ones onto our uh, website, don't we, on our tribute page.
1: I felt like a real cliche. I, I hear I'm going backstage, opening up the, uh, opening up the dressing room, and just walking in and saying hi. I mean, they could have been doing anything in there at the time, but I felt a bit like Kevin Costner in uh, that Madonna documentary uh, in bed with Madonna, where he goes, "That that cancer was really neat," you know, um, you know, and she's, and then she does the does the vomit signs. But uh, uh, they were very very gracious, and I just sort of said, you know. It's great having you do what you do, and you know the show's tight, and we have a podcast. We'd love to sort of promote you on there and just help you help help you succeed in what you do in any little way we can. So, but I'm glad he reached out to you. Yeah, you know? you're pretty
0: brave to have done that. I, I know that I'm not allowed to knock on the door of Blair's dressing room. God <laughs> knows what happens in there. There's lots of. Uh, Celebrations and stuff going on behind doors. Um, Yeah, so I don't know if you heard me then, Hayden. I spoke to David and he says that he's been um, in the inexcessive um, tribute band, which is more Melbourne, Victoria based and um, Queensland, does a little bit in New South Wales. They've been together since 1997.
1: Yeah. Well, I've seen them before a few times over the journey. So his face rang a bell and, uh, you know, they were, I think they were a five person, not a keyboard player. But they had some sort of you know sequencing stuff going on, but uh, uh, it was great. They really, really were, were tight, and the sound was good. And you could close your eyes and almost you could hear the similarity, yeah. which you know for a cover band is a good thing.
0: Well, I'd like to come down to Melbourne. We can go and see them again together, if that's okay.
1: Absolutely, mm, absolutely. Okay. Well, we had a bit of fun the last two weeks, B, with our mixtapes um, uh, or mixtape, depending on uh, you know you, you know if I'm dropping my past participles, um, Laurie. But <laughs> uh, a bit we had weird. a bit of fun with. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, grammar B, you we'll keep it straight, straightened up there. But um, uh, a lot of fun there. And, look, thanks for some of the people out there who enjoyed my mixtape. And, and and I guess for yourself, B, you've had some great feedback as well. And um, we did sort of put a shout-out saying if you've got your own one, please feel free to send it in. Um, we haven't had anyone send theirs in yet. So mm-hmm. if you do want a bit of airtime, a bit of hang time for your uh, mixtape and put a theme together, again, we're really welcome to sort of read them out and give a little bit of profile to it because uh, – we had individual fun doing ours,
0: didn't we? We did. Well, one of our top fans on our Facebook page and patron, um, Maria, she said, I like the narrative of the road trip for the mixtape. The selection of songs meshed well with Hayden's memories of travelling to his grand's place, genuine and heartfelt. Which is, yeah, yeah it, it yeah. felt like that, Hayden. It was really lovely. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it came from a good place and I'm glad it resonated there for those comments. Thank you very much. I'm mountain in the sun. Right. Um, Well, I guess we are pretty excited at the moment. We're about to enter a bit of a big interview phase with some very, very illuminary figures in the NXS world. We also are very excited to do uh, an upcoming episode, which I normally say to the end, but I can't wait sharing it, B. But we're going to talk a little bit about Scandinavia, aren't we? Now, I won't embarrass you, B, but you did say, uh, what countries are in Scandinavia? Is that right? (laughs) What was your comeback on that? Well, I said, you know, it was Denmark and Sweden and, yeah. and Norway, but it wasn't Finland, although Finland can be argued and, you know, I went through it's on the Russian peninsula. But, but, you know, we, we, we thought that we've got some very, very great patrons and some really loyal listeners in that region and, we actually have even emailed the band and got a couple of anecdotes back regarding their experiences in Scandinavia. Plus, we've done a bit of research on that. So, uh, we look forward to having that one go out in a couple of weeks' time. We will go to our patrons in a moment and then come back and announce who our special guest is today. So, be over to the patrons thing. We've got a new one, yeah, haven't we? Yeah, right? I was going to
0: say, we've got a new one. So, I'm just going to yeah. talk about the new one first. Um, okay. Actually, no, because you just reminded me, Um, those lovely emails we've been getting with the band last couple of days, congratulating us on getting to see 75,000 um, yes. And then um, We also mentioned um, Happy birthday To Kirk In the same thread And he says That he was Happily drinking Wine At his winery <laughs> So that was Really cool <laughs> yes.
2: Okay Back yes. to the
0: patrons Darren George Has been um Listening to us for the last couple of weeks, going through everything, and he's now become a patron. So, welcome on board, Darren.
1: Joining the club, he's going to be privy to a lot of goodies and stuff like that, isn't he, B, over the next few weeks? Oh, yes,
0: and we're going to mention something at the end of the show, just for the patrons, too, aren't we? Yes, 100%. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the
3: highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello.
0: Hello to our honorary members, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods and Darren Jones. Our paying patrons, Carmen, hope you're doing well Carmen, thinking of you. Laurie, carrie Danielle, you too. Sarah Markram, Sarah Cameo, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Calloway, Lisa, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, glad you're well too. Pedro, I hope you had a good birthday. Mandy, Matt, Linda, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H., Amanda V., David Gaunt, Tracy Walk. Paul Jolie Paul Bridges Paul Buckley Sandrine Ella Ryder Tony Erica Abigail Martin Stefan Val Jim Matey Kelly Jackie Sheila Shannon Helen Brett Suzanne Laurel Bard Genevieve Shelby Manny Laurie Jill Yari Laos Heidi Paula Linda Urban Angie Nancy Juliet Jenny Scott Anthea Maria nicole tracy and darren our special mentions are to Sudie, joe robbins john vink michael glenn and paul boozy welcome to the podcast
1: This is a bit of a special episode in the waiting. Back to episode 83, we did an origin story on Richard Lowenstein. We're at Lowenstein, we get that clarified today. Where we wanted to, you know, really get behind the guy who was really, I think, the seventh member of the band in terms of the visual aesthetics and a lot of the creative contributions to the, uh, the video scene with, with the band. We're very much looking forward to, over the next two episodes, having a deep dive with Richard Lowenstein and really, I guess, going through his career and also his contribution to the band, uh, for Mystify and a bunch of other things. So uh, I think we uh, I said 83, 27, 39 weeks it's taken us to get him on the show. Uh, and it took the power of a woman more than the idiocy of a man bailing him up in South Melbourne B. <laughs> Maybe I put the idea in his head, but you closed the deal, so credit to you. Probably
0: just because he's on Twitter more more than anything, I <laughs> should imagine. I think we're all looking forward to this, just um, finding out a little bit more under the covers of um, of the videos and his relationship with um, the band and with um, Chris. Will be interesting.
1: Yeah, and look, he's, he's had a very full and varied career, and he's still very much a vibrant figure in the in the uh, uh, in the film and you know the TV production industry. And uh, very excited to sort of dive deep into what he's doing at the moment as well, mm-hmm. because uh, you know artists keep growing, and they don't always want to talk about the past, although we do. Um, but very excited to hear about what he's doing at the moment. Be so uh, can't wait to do that. But uh, what's the time for now? It's time for the news.
0: Hi. This is Sarah from Sydney. You're listening to In Access, Access All Areas. And now it's time for the news.
1: All right. Well, uh, charts wise, uh, I think the album's dead and buried, B. I just think it is uh, out of the charts and uh, it's probably their fourth or fifth week in a row. But uh, uh, our charts, we've uh, hit 75,000 downloads and we're, I think, we're number eight this uh, day of recording in the Aussie chart. So we'd love to move up a little bit more because higher we move, it's just a higher of uh, the more patrons, and the more listeners we have who are enjoying us. So um, thank you.
0: It was quite fun, actually. I, I looked at the top 10. Okay, so we're sitting at number eight. Number Number nine is Elvis, which is all over the world at the moment. Yeah. Correct. And um, so yep. we're above Elvis, which I thought was yep. quite cool. And then number 10 was Dogs Out of Space, <laughs> which is ironic because we've got Richard coming on the show today.
1: Well, you know, we keep getting knocked off by uh, you know, that lady who's uh, known for her knocks, <laughs> and that's Dolly Parton. Um, so uh, she's definitely uh, in her nine part Dolly special is knocking. Knocking the door down and knocking us off uh, with her uh, rather large sales figures download. So, Dolly, we love you, but we're coming after you, okay?
0: Well, I've been around a long time. I don't know what kind of a legend I am, but if being around a long time makes you a legend, then I guess I
1: am. We have a lot of news to get through, so I'm going to rip through these, okay? Gig Watch. Don't change, uh, Boys, B. They've got an encore performance in South Australia. They sold out so quick, they've actually announced another show uh, in uh, South Australia, in Adelaide, at uh, The Gov on the 23rd of September. So if you did miss out, uh, there is tickets for the next show. Also, two the Live Baby Live guys are playing in Bathurst, uh, which is the 17th of September. And as we said the other week, the Oz In Excess show guys that you mentioned earlier, uh, I think, are playing in Early Beach literally in about two weeks' time on the 23rd of July. So <clears throat> a lot of people go up to that region uh, from the southern states for holidays. You could take in An in excess cover show Which would be pretty cool Very cool Nice place Yeah Quite a few uh, articles Come out recently About the 40th anniversary Of Shabu Shabar And there is A great publication Called Paste Magazine And this is a USA publication That came out this last week And they talked And retrospectively Voted on the best 20 albums of 1982 Now put this in perspective, the number one album that year that was voted and probably part of the zeitgeist was, was Thriller from uh, MJ, uh, but this top 20 had other artists in there such as uh, Prince, uh, I think with uh, uh, 1999, and a bunch of other sort of uh, – Prominent albums that year mm-hmm. But In Excess uh, Came in at number 20 On that With Shabu Shabazz So pretty pretty good Sort of hallmark For an album there Being their first In America To get that recognition We've
0: posted that onto our Facebook page um, Today yes. So that, uh, thank you To Laurie Fantastic
1: mm-hmm. Also too I think on the In website There is a guitar auction Which is signed by uh, The five remaining members Of the band uh, I think it goes off On July the 29th I tried to get onto The website and find it I couldn't quite find it But I believe it is Through the, the official In Excess website <laughs> Uh, also, to through uh, a little bit of my research as well, this last week, B, I I saw advertised, this was pretty cool, in excess strings, sheet music for the music notes for the 1979 to 97, the year's double album. So if you're a real budding musician out there, and we know there's different types of fans, you know, people who like the music side, people who like the Michael Hutchins sexy side, people who like uh, uh, the hooks and the tune side and the videos. But there are some musos out there who love the Variety of music. So, if you are a little bit into your, you know, your uh, strings and your your shit music, is uh, if you Google that, um, music notes for that. Uh, double L, you might be a uh, be a winner on that. Equally, too, uh, in the last week, there's been a DJ called Hot Mood Times in excess. Uh, I think he's an Italian DJ. He's done a couple of remixes uh, of original Sin, so that's doing the rounds as well. Also, to July Fourth, it's a very popular day. That was not only Kirk's birthday that we've acknowledged, but I think it was Nick Egan's birthday as well on the same day. And um, we, uh, you know, sent our heartfelt thanks. And I think he has sent uh, a big hello out to everybody today with the of fireworks in the background. I think his wife is born on the 3rd of July, so they do a bit of a double celebration, That's don't right.
0: they? That's right. Did you say that, yeah, they, they burn a lot of things or something or settle a fire to a lot of things? Correct.
1: <laughs> Correct. Um, also, too, a bit of a link to the band. 31 years ago, also to the day on July the 4th, which seems to be coincidental, coincidental, um, the lovely uh, Vincent Chang, who was the heart doctor that in access to the Centennial Park Concert for, he passed away or was murdered, unfortunately, on July the 4th in uh, 1991. So it did create the impetus for the uh, Centennial Park Revenue raising Concert. Um, Vincent Chang, he did 266 heart replacements and he batted about a 90% strike rate. He did a lot of other lung and heart replacements and things. And, you know, such a sad passing for someone who made such a contribution. So I do want to acknowledge that as well. Um, Also valet to an important member of the Australian music industry, a guy called Tristan Goodall. He was a co-founder of the band called The Audries. Now, uh, we may have played them before, but um, they did a cover of In excesses Don't Change around 2004, I think, uh, with the lead singer, Tasha Coates. Unfortunately, Tristan, one of the co-founders, passed away during the week of some medical issues at only 48. Mm. Um, so there's a little bit of news going around and sort of acknowledging his contribution here in Australia recently. But it was a great acoustic version that... think might have in some ways inspired John when he did the reboot version with Kirk and Andrew singing. It's more of a slow down sort of version of Don't Change. And I think it's one of the better covers of that song. Um, So I want to acknowledge that. But, you know, outside that, be a lot of news going on. Um, There's a lot of other things coming up. Uh, There's a little little thing for next week, I'm going to say, but let me just say it's got uh, Prince in it. Uh, There's a little bit of an excerpt there. And I did actually email... Little sort of uh, article homage to Princeton in excess that I'm going to save over for next week. But Tim replied and he was very, very excited about the article I sent. So I'm going to save it for next week because I like to give it a bit of profile. Cool. Cool.
0: Uh, Can I add to the news?
1: You can. Very well. Your friend
0: Pedro, it's his birthday this week. So happy birthday to Pedro.
1: Fantastic. My first dealings with Pedro's—we punched on about albums or something back in the day—and but punched on with not personal cancel cultures. Punched on about differing facts uh, about something. But uh, uh, I love seeing Pedro's posts and him and Dave and all the work they do with their collectors area and all their deep dives. Um, I think this week also be just—I uh, uh, posted this morning. I think it's thirty-one. Uh, what's it today? Two thousand. Yeah, thirty years today uh, that uh, Heaven Sent got released. Ah, and yes. thank you, thank you to MM. Yes. posted a deep dive into all the versions of heaven sent and the backlog of the of the song we have put that on our patreon page but uh yeah pretty pivotal song in the nxs canon and uh, again a a film clip uh, directed by richard so uh happy birthday heaven sent as well Right. Well, uh, we're very excited B, to be welcoming a guest on in a moment's time to talk uh, about his career, his contribution uh, within Excess. His fantastic, you know, feature documentary on Michael, which was mystified. That was uh, lovely edited. Uh, Richard himself, Lynne Marie Milburn, Taylor Martin, editing of that was just a two out of four. So with. Marine Marie and Richard really spitting that with support from Taylor. They did such a fantastic job of just collating so much raw footage and material over such a journey, Be And uh, we would no doubt we'll get a chance to hit Richard up on that today. I know this has been a bit of a special one for us. We've been excited about doing and it's sort of come to life this week.
0: Well, yeah, I mean it's 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 okay having the band on. That's exciting. But Richard is just such a, a wealth, isn't he? He's just a such yes. a great character. I can't wait.
1: Yeah. And the way we've sort of structured this up a little bit is that, you know, we it's very hard as as we often will say to guests and things is to try chronicle their their life into two hours or whatever there. But we're gonna slice this thing up into uh uh to two episodes. Uh the first half will be a little bit more about uh, the background of Richard, you know, the inspiration behind his career, some of the artists and people he got a chance to work with, and then probably the second half will really get nitty-gritty into the in excess clips. A little bit nitty gritty into to mystify, and, and some of the some of the patron questions. That uh, is a great you know service we provide for our patrons, and that is you get a chance to directly ask some of your heroes things you've wanted to know. So um, yeah, we'll pro- break it into two sections, uh, roughly equal amounts, and we really hope that uh, you enjoy it, and uh, you know we'll um, be part of you know this episode with your feedback thereafter. So uh, over to Richard. <laughs>
0: Hi,
3: this is Felicia from Everett, Washington, USA. You're listening to NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B, and it's time for the topic of the week.
1: All right. Well, uh, we we would like to, for the record, just confirm the correct pronunciation of your surname for the uh, the listeners out there. Richard, I think they've been getting it wrong for a number of years.
2: Loewenstein. Well, it's Lowenstein, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> hold on. Let me think. It's um, Loewenstein, I think. Yeah. It's the opposite <laughs> of what it the opposite of what it seems like for Australians. Just a bit
1: of backdrop on us. Uh, you are responsible for this podcast. Uh, young B and I met each other at the Sydney launch of your, uh, what well, the film festival in 2019 in June. Yeah. And we went along and met each other at the uh, launch of your uh, documentary of Michael and we connected afterwards and then uh, created a podcast. And I do remember that night you mentioned the word Lowenstein a few times. Yeah, no,
2: it, it is Stein. Well, it's actually, it's Lervenstein. The W is pronounced as a V, but um, yes. so it's Stein. You're not Stein. But all the kids at school used to call me Steen. So probably probably NXS members used to call me Steen. So, well, yeah. It's not, not that uncommon for the Australian vernacular
1: to sort of anglicise things and uh, make them a little bit uh, different. Yes, that's true. Many of our listeners know that, you know, you're a director, but obviously producer, partner, owner, auteur, um, I, I guess you have quite a lot on your plate. What, what's sort of happening for yourself at the moment, Richard, uh, with, you know, uh, a busy uh, program of uh, responsibilities that you oversee?
2: Um, well, we're, we're sort of um, been through the past 10 years a sort of a series of feature documentaries, even though our history is... Um, more based in drama and um so we have we've been working on a mini series based on the very early days of australian rock and roll in 1962 63 around a around a band called billy thorpe and the aztecs and it was when they first started out and so it was sort of it's it's not just a rock and roll story it's a story about uh, early women's rights and uh also indigenous rights at that time and sort of coming out of the very state and conservative 50s and going into the revolutionary 60s, a sort of a society that's on the other side of the planet, sort of following what was happening around the rest of the world, as well as the rock and roll revolution happening. So it's a multi-character storyline, six-hour miniseries.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a bit of influence from your mother there.
2: Yeah, there there is a, almost in all my work. There's a, a kind of an oral history um, influences. Like in, in this one, is it's based on an autobiographical book that Billy Thorpe wrote of his year very early years in the Cross, and the subject matter interested me. And we we've done a series of sort of. Very similar to my mother, oral interviews of people who were live back then in all sorts of fields. Themes, even Dogs in Space has got a theme. You know, it's it's oral history and it's a, a dramatized version of that. So it's there's similarities throughout. I think. Has that started filming yet, uh, Richard? Oh, I wish, but um, no, it's not. <laughs> no, we have uh, we have sort of in story conferences and drafting and um and sort of script. Deadlines and things like that. The funding is still taking place. Is it
0: just for Australian TV, or are you putting it onto Netflix or something like that, or what? What are you doing with it?
2: It needs to be world TV. It's we've we've had some bites from some of the major streamers, some initial bites, and they're they're waiting for new scripts and things. Um, we've had a very successful. Um, Draft of the first pilot episode. So we're we're bashing forward with it. It's very very much got a international perspective. You don't need to know anything about this band. I mean, most people won't have heard of this band, but it's uh it's a universal story. So it's not just an Australian sort of story biopic. It's a story of kind of being on the other side of the planet while all these revolutions are happening around the world. Yeah. And I guess with um something like that being put together you said something
1: interestingly there about comparing it to putting documentaries together dealing with actors and all these other types of sort of commercial interests is that sort of one of the big differences between putting docos together what's the sort of parallel there
2: yeah there's there's a lot more dynamics in a in a drama film if you sort of think about if you think about it i mean it's all just a journey to getting getting the footage into your editing machine and with documentaries you know the footage is either new interviews, talking heads, or it's actually archive footage where all the casting and negotiating has already been done, or it's real life, you know? And so, trying to create the sort of dynamic that of of a dramatic film or a mini series where there's so many more elements, like you've casting and stars who needed to make to make bring in the money and bring in the budget and all that sort of stuff it's we just published the diary i'd written on dogs in space and the amount of different things you have to kind of get in line before a project goes ahead is is quite extraordinary compared to a documentary where it's just like now we've got to scour the world for all the archive footage and I guess the shooting is the interviews and, and stuff like that. So it's um, yeah, it's a bit mind-boggling. That's that's one of the re- that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult. It's easy to go from drama to documentaries, but it's very difficult, especially after ten years, to convince people that uh, remember us. We can still direct yes drama. Yes.
1: Yeah. And going back in time, obviously Swinburne, uh, you know, you very much to me a uh, 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 Melbourne and Swinburne, I guess, uh, you know, college there with the the studies you did there and all the learnings you did there. How, did, how, how do you uh, look back on that particular time?
2: And did you still have any involvement with Swinburne? Swinburne has kind of turned into the VCA and so the, and then they started up again as a, as a film school. So, yeah, we, we actually do have involved with Swinburne and not the VCA. So there's two there's two institutions here that fight for the legacy of Swinburne Film School. On Mystify and previous documentaries, we've, we've taken a lot of interns. We keep taking interns in from um, Swinburne and uh, the graduates. We had an assistant editor for a long time who was a, a Swinburne graduate. So, yeah, we're still quite close. With Swinburne, and uh, anytime they want me to go and do a lecture, I I do that. Going back to the late seventies when I was actually there, it was an uh, incredibly vibrant time because the there you know it was the renaissance of the Australian film industry. The sort of the pit hanging rocks and everything had just happened. It was the seventies. The uh, films like Newsfront were happening, and it was incredibly exciting going into a new decade with a sort of group of students who are very passionate and all, all kind of wanted to be filmmakers, even though, you know, invariably 50% go off into other things, but after they've graduated, but it's, um, it, then you know, there's a lot of idealism and there was people like Jeff Wright there and Andrew DeGroote who, you know, we've, we've spent our lives working together and there was a lot of, a lot of people who'd, um, came out of those years at Swinburne. Gillian Armstrong had come out of them and Jill Wilcock was a, a few years before us. And so it, it had this very strong but kind of low-budget um, legacy where we would always be very um, competitive with the National Film uh, School, which was in Sydney. We'd always try and sort of – even though we didn't have the budgets and the steady cams and the 35mm – We'd always try to uh, beat them with our films, you know, the, and and the, and the, just the decade we were going into. I was, I was, I think I graduated in 1980, and went in in '77. So you sort of my graduation just really sort of arrived on the, the time of the outbreak of the music video revolution and everything. So you'd sort of jump out of film school and go into a very thriving business, both in um, feature films, music videos, commercials, if you could get them. It was just uh, incredibly generous and uh, opportunistic time for filmmakers because there was so much work around
0: so you, so you graduated about eight, when you were about twenty five. Is that right? Oh, you directed, sorry, Strike Band at twenty five.
2: Yeah, I was. I was gearing up and doing the production recies for Strike Band when I was twenty three. Which so, people were taking me seriously as a feature film director at twenty three mm. on a on quite a large budget period film, which was quite um hard to believe to be honest. B, my co-host,
1: is from uh, Birmingham, and Mm -hmm. I know in the '80s there were a lot of mining strikes up in the north of England. And your film, I guess, as an Aussie growing up, was about some of the mining issues back in the
2: uh, previous decade. So it's sort of something connected with both of us, Mm. wasn't it, B? Yeah, I mean, it was. It was. Um, seemed to be very much an issue of the moment too. As well, I remember going to England not long after, and there was there was these huge mining strikes. Mm. Mining Strikes that, you know, Maggie Thatcher was trying to.
0: It was Arthur Scargill, if I remember.
2: That's right. Yeah, Arthur Scargill. That's right. uh, it actually kind of links into one of the NXS videos we did as, uh, with, um, I think it was All The Voices. We were filming in London just after I'd done Burn For You, and Strikebound was going to the Cannes Film Festival and things, and the miners' strike, the, you know, the miners' strikes were happening in Right, England. And I think we went, when I was filming Michael for that video, which was interspersed with images from Strikebound, there was all these sort of coal mine or support the strikers posters out in the streets we leaned him up against some of the posters and filmed him singing all the voices which sounds like a union song
1: I mean, again, I just at the time as sort of a kid coming through, I just remember the imagery of that film clip and everything there and the footage of the mines, but also feeling this UK stuff that would come through our news feeds nightly about what was going on. So it's weird that something happening happening in Australia many years earlier was resonating itself again in, in England.
0: How did you meet Michael in the first place and in, in excess? I've
2: told the story so many times that I've I've forgotten it. Oh bad. Yes. <laughs> we met them because of a previous video I'd done for a local band called Hunters and Hunters and Collectors, which the video was a very kind of very artistic venture, as was the band. The video and the song did very well in not so much top of the pops or charting, but it did very well in the kind of um, art world and, you know, when it was on Countdown here, which is like the British top of the pops, uh, it was kind of hailed as a, a artistic masterpiece type thing. Well, I saw I first saw it on Sounds Unlimited with Donny Donnie Sutherland. Right. Yeah. Donnie Sutherland played the long version, thank God, because Countdown would only play a short cut-down version, which didn't have hardly any impact, yes. No, well, it starts off at St Kilda Station, doesn't it, back in those days? Yes, and the repercussions of that were quite immense for me, because um, everyone who saw it, including you too, suddenly started calling, including Pete Townsend and uh, everything, but but. The first people who called were – um was a, was a manager, a band manager called Gary Grant, kind of called me out of the blue and said, you know, we want one of those videos you do, you know, <laughs> like that one. And um, yes. and I said, well, you've got to have a song a bit like that one. And so he sends me this song, which absolutely wasn't anything like um, Hunters and Collectors. And he kind of says, um, when do you want to do it? And he says, well – in a couple of days and I'm going, that's not how it works. You know, I need film crews and I need, you know, film stock and we've got a da-da-da. And he says, oh, no, we just hop on a plane, bring your cameras. And, you know, was, I mean, cameras were huge back then. Bring your cameras and uh, and we're just, the band are having a few days off surfing or whatever they were doing, Uh-oh. going around the, the – um, the uh, surface paradise, and you make a video out of that. So I'm like, uh, that's sort of like it was so naive that I thought, oh well, why not?" You know, and I, I did actually have a a tiny little um, 16 millimeter camera, which couldn't film sync sound, so it wouldn't hold sync at all. It would, you'd, it'd be like an old Super 8, but it was 16 mil. And they they later on, everyone in the music business was used them. They became quite rare and valuable. But I had this camera, so we just grabbed it. And uh me and the my co-director, Lyd Marie Milburn, and sort of stylist ideas man, Troy Davies, we just three of us, um, hopped on a plane and ended up um, in a motel in uh, Mackay, Queensland, I think, where we were all sort of wearing black and pale and <laughs> looking like <laughs> Melbourne punks, if we do, or sort of vampirish. We, we literally hadn't seen the sun Because we only came out at night Uh And went to clubs and (laughs) bands and things And, um, you know, we kind of like loved Nick Cave And we loved The Cure and everything And then then we're sort of peering out (laughs) this motor window I remember we had Venetian blinds Which we made sure were very closed And we're peering out and looking at this sort of row of um, guys In Bermuda shorts on banana lounges outside the pool All with mullets and things like this, you know and we're going geez and all with pretty modernly girlfriends you know (laughs) we're going geez (laughs) that's so not us and uh, they finally um cajoled us out of our room and we sort of um squinting in the sunlight sort of went over there and then I remember one of them stood up with the long with the, the longest mullet of them all and sort of just kind of bounced over towards us and uh and held out his hand with a big grin and said, "Hi, I'm Michael." And uh, then about two days later, we we're all snorkeling off the Great Barrier Reef and and doing things that we're sort of not really supposed to do as Melbourne punks. <laughs> <laughs> You can see the snorkelling bit in the video. I think there's a shot of Andrew Farris sitting in a boat, which is actually a, a little dinghy in a, in a big, a big sort of yacht that we are out snorkelling on, and we were we were filming him in a little boat, and then I think it animated around it and stuff like that. Smash of different grabs, and we'd be driving towards you know wherever the next gig was, and. Um, and we'd stop and say, Michael, get out and run through those mangrove swamps. And uh, so <laughs> stayed, we stayed. Um, and he did as safely. he told. <laughs> yes. And we stayed very safely in the car and while while he ran through the mangrove swamps and we tracked alongside him.
3: I like the look in your eyes when you talk a certain way.
1: Michael have that sort of disarming relaxing type of persona which was different to what you
2: thought before meeting
1: or you didn't really know much about him before?
2: I didn't think much about In Excess before we met I do clearly about them before I actually met them or met Michael was um, we were very much um, kind of the friends and fans of the band The Ears which is all portrayed in Dogs in Space which was had a character Sam, and they played kind of silly little punk songs—not not serious punk songs, but silly little songs about golf courses and dogs in space and things like that. They were they were quite ridiculous band, but but we liked them. And I remember um, they played once at the Crystal Room, which is uh, the sort of iconic punk venue here in Fitzroy Street, St Kilda. And I remember you know, watching the Ears, the, the band we liked, playing and someone coming in and saying, you got to go upstairs. There's a guy upstairs who's imitating Sam, the <laughs> our singer. <laughs> and we, we went upstairs and instead of the kind of hundred people watching the Ears upstairs, there was a thousand people watching in excess. Wow. And then we looked at the stage and there was a guy kind of doing the same sort of movements and which, you know, I don't think he was ripping off Sam. I think they were both ripping off David Bowie, to be honest. But um, He's doing the same sort of Bowie-esque sort of flippy floppy movements. And we're going, yeah, he's ripping off our Sam. And so we thought they were commercial crap, really. Well, I think also back in that era, there was a real
1: provincial rivalry, between New South Wales and sort of Victoria a bit wasn't there, or Melbourne, Sydney more so than now.
2: Yeah, there was. And we were, we were um, very close. In fact, Lynn Marie was um, great friends with all the members of the uh, birthday party and Boys Next Door who would turn into the birthday party, which was Nick Cave's first um, mm. Melbourne band. And so we, we knew them and then they seemed to epitomise the Melbourne scene, which was, you know, cool and credible, dressed in black and, and took heroin. And then Sydney seemed to epitomise the opposite of what we liked, which was colourful and, you know, perky, punky and all took cocaine. We didn't like Sydney bands very much. We thought them shallow and superficial, but, you know, that was back then and we, we soon learned.
0: Uh, shall I tell Richard my, uh, my little spiel that I was told when I first got to Australia about Sydney and Melbourne?
2: Yeah, tell us.
0: Yeah, so um, Sydney are superficially, no deeply su- no, superficially deep and oh. Melbourne are deeply superficial. Or would it the other way round? Have you heard that? That's, saying? Pretty,
2: that's pretty accurate. I mean, underneath all the posing and the and the Russian style angst of Melbourne, mm. we're all pretty shallow underneath it, and. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's pretty accurate. we also you yeah the phrase down here is Melbourne is so boring you can get your work done. <laughs> and, uh, well, one. I mean, Mel- I mean,
1: Melbourne back in that era, you know, it was a bit bleak and it was a little bit. I mean, it was always cold. It's still cold today, you know, but Sydney had the uh, the Opera House and the beaches and we had sort of, I guess, the, the art cultural sort of scene, which still exists today. But, um, you know, some of the bands you mentioned there, like The Ears and, and Hunters and Collectors, and I guess did, did directing videos was a thought-out process or it happened organically through your association with The Ears and it led to Hunters and Cold Chisel and others and things like that? Um, well,
2: every video was a thought-out process, absolutely, but the the career... I probably should have thought it through a bit more because it sort of um, only lasted for the 80s. And then, you know, when the internet started coming in, it was all sort of um, the budgets disappeared and there's a whole lot of things. But I mean, the first video I actually did was for the ears. So it was like, you know, a couple of hundred dollars and we were all living in the Dogs in Space house and we had access to the film cameras and all the film students were living there. And so... It just made sense. We we did that and then, then that led on to some other work, I think Joe Camilleri and a couple of other things. And then it led to Hunters and Collectors and then Hunters and Collectors led to Tim Finn and all these other people, the church, but people like. Pete Townsend. They really, apart from the hunters and collectors, he wasn't really aware. He was more aware of my feature films. So, everything seemed to um, everything seemed to help each other. But my, I gotta admit, my my main career thrust was in feature films. You know, I I was uh, wanting to be a feature film director. Mm. And that's where my focus was. But at the same time, these videos, you know, kept appearing with budget. The budgets were unbelievable in the 80s, weren't they? You know, in terms of what
1: record companies had.
2: Yeah, and there were budgets on the scale of short mm. films. We would apply to the government bodies for money for a short film and it would take six months of bureaucracy. And then here come, a band comes along and gives you the same amount of money and they'll say it'll be in the account... By the end of the week, and you can't believe it. And then you go, okay, well, let's make a short film with this money, and mm. we'll just put the band in it, you know. So it was as far as um, as far as a learning curve, or a um, you know, just get being on set and not having the strict sort of regime that uh, advertising agency will give you on a commercial and everything's by committee and all the colors are going to be exactly right. The the music videos gave you this um, opportunity to experiment with ideas, casting, all sorts of things, and and actually be on set, which to a filmmaker is a great buzz, you know, Mm -hmm. not only a great buzz, but it's a great learning curve, you know. Australia is not France. Where in France, they actually love cinema and they if you start out and you can make one film, they say, well, it's our duty as a nation to keep you on set so you can get better and better. But here, it's like, you know, they're always looking for the next Tarantino or whatever. So having all those music videos was was a great way of just keeping in shape, you know, both Creatively and physically,
0: keeping your name up there. Yeah, and especially when you were winning so many awards from them as well. All that stuff.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I did. I did. I did realize that. um, You know, I did sort of try to push the boundaries of of the technology of the time, so that you could actually, you know, not not so much to win awards, but just to keep. To keep going, to keep learning, and to keep, um, or to keep in work as well, you know. <laughs> there was a lot of video directors around then who were just happy to churn out the same old kind of stuff. You can watch Duran Duran videos, and then you can watch Elton John videos, and it's all full of the same old shots and the same. I mean, they were good, and it was working at the time, and people. That sounds like Mr. Russell Mulcahy, doesn't it? <laughs> things, yeah, things like that. They were just like they're good and they're of the time, but they were just, it was just filler. It was just like, you're just doing the same old stuff again. Whereas I, I was thinking, well, this is an opportunity and it might go, it might not happen next time. It might go away tomorrow. So let's, let's play with the techniques and let's learn as much as we can and let's push the, things to the limit you know
0: how much influence was Troy Davies he
2: was um, he was very influential he was um, no one was quite sure what he did but he, um, <laughs> he 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 was full of he was full of ideas both visually and emotionally and spiritually but also you know he he sort of legitimate role was makeup stroke wardrobe stroke stylist but he, he would have hated me to call him that and it was sort of like he, he was very much a part of the creation process and he would um you know I would say I would do this shot and he would say oh what if you put a rubber band around his nose or something like that you know and then that would become that would become an iconic thing like in Hunters and Collectors I was just going to film Mark Seymour under a shower and he would say, no, what about this? You know, the rubber band idea. And it, you know, it's like, I've heard, I've had so many people rave about the rubber band. So, you know, say so what it, what it did to his face or whatever. And, um, you know, he sort of kept, he just sort of embellished the fundamental idea until, so that it raised above and it became okay. something special, you know? As well as he he very much, he was very essential to the InXS videos. A lot of bands don't relax on camera and it's quite a job to make people relax on camera and just, you know, give those moments. And Troy was very much a a social catalyst. He would make the guys relax and because they, they knew they were among friends and also there was this, there was this guy, Troy, who was just sort of saying, you know, you know, loosen it up and he would make jokes and everything. And, you know, a lot of those little, especially with John and people, a lot of those little sort of, um, sort of idiosyncratic looks and little looseness that people like Michael and John have to do with Troy. And you look at the videos that, um, in excess videos that don't have Troy on set, the band are all kind of a bit rigid and they might be dressed very nicely and everything but they're not really giving the kind of life and fire and spark that they are in the Pro was on you know I
3: said everybody down on their knees listen like thieves but that
1: yeah, you mentioned Pete Townsend earlier, and I guess with Troy that uh B brought up, Troy had that offshoot sort of project, Echo Homo, that um, I think he did Motorcycle Baby, the clip, but he had that other song, New York, New York, that I think Bono and Edge did vocals on. Yes, yes. I guess around the 88 MTV Awards where you were there and the band Scooped. How did uh, getting to work with you too? and and how did the confidence of also getting to work with the Pete Townsend, how did that uh, work for you? It must have been a real confidence boost, especially with these international stars embracing
2: your ideas. Uh, well, the first thing that happened was um... – was the Pete Towns and things. Like, uh, we'd, we'd made um, Strike Bound, then we made Hunters and Collectors, maybe. I think, I think you might have done Hunters and Collectors first. So we did Talking to a Stranger first, uh, just before Strike Bound. That's yeah. right. And then Strike Bound happened. The Talking to a Stranger had gotten picked up by MTV around the world. I think it was on Sunday, arts video segment. And so it's sort of like when that happened it sort of went a bit crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember just being at home in, uh, in the suburb watching, I think I was watching uh, Keith Moon on, on tele- one of the films he was actually in as an actor. I was watching him and the phone went off. It was literally, um, I said, hi, it's Pete here, you know, with that accent. And um, I, I really, I hadn't been any given any warning. And Pete, oh, he said Pete Townsend, and I, I thought it was a joke because I was watching Keith Moon on the television <laughs> and going, "Whoa!" That's. And anyway, a friend of mine had um, arranged a screening of *Strike Bound* and *Purple Rain* back to back for Pete because he was had a new album and everything. He decided that. For the new album He wanted to make An entire film And he thought The combination Of Purple Rain And Strike Band Was a fantastic combination Although I tried To break it to him I didn't direct Purple Rain But <laughs> he, he yeah. didn't seem To make any difference <laughs> And that sort of Led to um, That led to The White City Sort of venture And them flying me over And, and without Actually knowing I hadn't been In a recording studio Before but without actually knowing all these things, I was, you know, apparently I was in the presence of um icons, the brass section, and Chris Thomas, the famous Chris Thomas producer, who's who, you know, was producing all the NXS albums later. Yes. He was actually in there producing with Pete and everything, and I was just this... Young kid, and I'm supposed to sort of immerse myself. And I, and I think Pete was saying, well, is there anything you want to help the, mu- you know, help the film? Any any elements you want? More brass or whatever?" And I'm sort of going,
3: oh, "Well, whatever, <laughs> yeah. yeah, brass would be good." And,
2: and uh, it was sort of like that. He, he involved me in the process, and. Uh, and literally, yeah, I was—I I had an early script. I remember I was trying to get him to invest in Dogs in Space. I had an early script, and um, he didn't have time to read it, so he gave it to his daughter, who thought it was great, but he didn't end up uh, investing in it. But I do—I do remember before that, I was—I was a bit uh, blasé about all this. I like—I'd never really been a fan of the Who or anything. I knew who they were but I was more in the Beatles and all that sort of stuff. So I was a bit blase. And then I remember um, in the middle of the session, I remember this clearly in, in Twickenham Studios in the White City sessions, the phone rings and he he, get, he picks it up and he has a chat and he says, oh, it's a friend of yours here. And he hands me the, hands me the phone and it's Bono on the phone. Hi, oh. hey, mate, how you going? And, and I'd, I'd actually met Bono, um. In backstage, uh, one of the, his Melbourne concerts back back in '83 or something, they they'd also arrived when just when Strikebound was in the cinemas here, so they had called me up to backstage oh. to um, to see who this. Uh, Wonderkind was <laughs> that, you know, who was all over the newspapers with this coal mining film. We, we were the only people backstage then, it was before anyone kind of knew it. it was playing the Palais Theatre, which is only like two or 3,000 people. And we got ushered into a backstage room and just sat there. And me and Lynn Marie talked to the band for like two hours and then promptly forgot about it. And then, sort of like a year later or six months later, um, yeah, it was only six months because it was after Strike Bound. they um, yeah, I'm on the phone, fa- I'm in Pete's studio and on the phone talking to him again. And that invariably led to our work with you too, yeah. Well, because I
1: think also, you know, NXS scooped the pull at the MTV Awards and I think obviously they're up against you too. Streets Have No Name and uh, Need You Tonight obviously won. And, and obviously back then I think Bono, you know, Michael were quite close and then within sort of the Rattle and Hum album which came out maybe – six twelve six months late i reckon you were doing i think the yes. desire film clip weren't you the uh, and some of the yes, love comes yes. to town stuff
2: yes we were we did desire and um angel of harlem well, i think as well that's a town angel of harlem oh yeah the angel, angel fantastic, of harlem. fantastic that's clip. It, yeah. yeah we did the desire and angel of harlem first and I, I remember bono wasn't impressed with the lighting on his face because it had a big nose. So we 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 lit him from the footlights, and it had a big nose shadow. Oh all right. I, got, I don't think I ever got asked. I didn't get asked to do another video except for the live. <laughs> because right. uh, oh, it's uh, a bit not quite it? fickle like that. Oh, yeah. dear. Well, it's not exactly mm. Bill Laurie, is he? You know. No, <laughs> but I thought it was a great look being lit by the footlights, but apparently it wasn't. But it was weird, weird synchronicity with all that because. Um, The producer of Streets With No Name, the film producer, had produced White City for us. He became uh, a very close friend with Michael Hutchins as well, Michael Hamlin, who produced Streets With No Name and is actually in the video, you know, dealing with the police when they try to remove the band from up there. So there was all these sort of threads of connection going on, like the Chris Thomas one, being in Pete Townsend, and then, yeah.
1: I said this to B before we started recording, I said, Richard's a real auteur, you know, he's a... Critical darling. I don't think I've ever seen a bad review
2: in anything you've done, Richard. I'm sure you I'm sure you <laughs> no, we we, we removed them. We we remove remove them,
0: from them? The <laughs> I was yeah. gonna say yeah.
2: <laughs> There's lots of bad reviews. Trust me, there's lots of bad reviews. <laughs> I, I've never seen them. But I, 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 for this day,
1: I can't quite work out. We've got the best video of the year at the MTV Awards and yet I couldn't get nominated for a Grammy when really uh, one would think that the MTV Awards was the zeitgeist of award recognition. And won the MTV awards, and you won best director and, and cinematography and everything there. Yet the Grammys didn't recognise it for even a nomination for video of the year. I, I found that perplexing. I don't know if it, at the time for you and the band, not that you're in it for awards, but it would have been great recognition.
2: All those award things are so perplexing to me. Like I've had, I've had feature films nominated in every category except directing like you know best film of the year or whatever and and you go well what is the director just chop liver you know it's like so the producer goes and gets best film of the year but the director doesn't exist so like it's a bit perplexing and um how it all works but yeah the i think we got something else we did gotten nominated for a grammy so now there's a Grammy at Michael Hamlin's place. I I never understood why because um, so, it swept, yeah, in that year it, it was sweeping the MTV awards. And I, I did hear afterwards from Bono that they were actually seriously quite jealous about, you know, the clean sweep of those awards. And they they did actually start listening and looking at in excess a lot closer th- after that, because they were kind of, you know, yeah, and you can just see their style of music change mm-hmm. and after the kick album and they sort of looked at what worked with the kick album, they looked at the videos, that's actually when they started asking me to do videos, yeah. funny of that.
0: And befriended Michael even more.
2: <laughs> they're, they're the dates I joined up. Yes. You know, it's Bono,
1: you know, yeah. with the Live Baby Live, they got David Mallett who did the production for Wembley. Suddenly two years later they used him to do the Sydney Zoropa concert. So... They were quite clever at appropriating yes. some of NXS's production teams and various things for their own subsequent videos and things, you know? Mm.
2: Yes, and their, and their sound. I mean, they, they used a lot of the kind of post that they used a lot of the, you know, NXS was kind of a pioneer in dance mixes and, you know, the, the Nick A mixes of sampling and everything. As soon as the kick happened and the dance mixes and all that of of that happened. The um, even the beginning of what you need and all that stuff, you start hearing all that stuff come out in, in uh, Zuropa and all that sampling and the scratching and things like that. I mean, they could have in excess, I always thought could have pushed it a bit more, you know, and gone a bit more talking Headsy with their sound. But yeah, you can definitely see you too, picked up that hint and said like we can take some of these elements we can you know obviously be influenced by talking heads as well and we can take it further and really go experimental but also commercial at the same time and and got the credibility that's that in excess definitely desired their credibility that all that stuff would have given them you know <laughs>
3: It makes me sweat.
0: Mm-hmm. It felt quite like you 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 branded it as, as well with um, using the cover into the video as well. That was such a clever idea that you know the kids or whoever was watching. tonight, yeah, You, um, you yeah, can yeah. see that element, and then you can go in the shops, and they, there's the you know there it is again. You could have you could own a bit of it, you know.
2: Yeah, it feels like management. You know, requests, but it wasn't. I they, I do remember them showing me the. Um, you know, we're sort of developing. I'm listening to the song, and we're developing the idea of how to do it. And they did show me that a uh, rough of the album cover. What I do remember, um, and uh, Chris Murphy has always disputed, but it's absolute bullshit. But what I do remember is is him sending me. You know, he we we'd we'd always. Talking to a Stranger, we'd always kind of known that perhaps the best idea for the first single album was the one that you could do the best video to. Back then, if you had a breaking video like Sledgehammer or something, it would give you a huge boost on MTV. So I remember sending me a classic cassette that had, you know, Need You Tonight, Never Tear Us Apart, New Sensation. It was three or four of them. And he just, he said, tell me which one you can do the best video to. And I, I listened to them all and, um, and it was definitely needed tonight. It was, the, it was my kind of music. It was all syncopated. It was, you know, it was all clean and in different layers. And that's kind of how I conceived the video. But, and I just said, if you give me three months, which was unheard of in, Chris Murphy in excess time. If you give me three months, you give me this song early, and three months, I'll I'll do you a landmark video because this is you know, this is the song that's got it. I can really work out how to do it. And it was, and I just um, wanted to do it as I heard it, like like clean, um, separate, like like how music's written. You know, it's just like in layers of, a uh, syncopated. And getting back to Bono Bono said when he first heard that
1: song And the vocal And you had Michael Sort of right up to the microphone When you're hearing that I guess mm. It's really interesting That you were able to hear that And then come up with that idea Because sometimes it's like Does the video come first With the song second Or in this case It seemed like the song shaped the video
2: Well my, my version of the story And Chris Murphy's no longer with us yeah. So that I, no one's going to criticise My version of the story yeah. Is that that literally I picked the first single off that album. You know, other people might have had their ideas that might have been happening simultaneously, but they sent me that cassette and I said, best video will be this one. You just got to wait three months because I've got this idea then it's going to be all... It was an extension of the what you need idea of, of getting z- uh, colour and black and white Xeroxes to move, you know, which I thought would blow everyone away if you get a Xerox to move. To animate itself, and um, so we came up with this whole technique of filming and then cutting it up into slides and xeroxing it all, and then animating it back to life and everything. And uh, it's going to take time. I asked, I asked for three months to do it, and it was predominantly um, Lynn Marie, our co-director, who was d- doing all the the work. You know, chopping up the stills and mounting them and taking them down to the local Xerox. Um, we talk about what you need here or need you tonight. Needed tonight, you know. I mean, Lynn Marie did all the work on what you need as well, but um, but it's her, it's her, yeah, yeah, because I think I, I remember hearing you talk about that too with her and all the
1: spirit
2: for that too. It's her labor of love that I kind of then um edited together and and probably took all the credit for, but she is definitely the um you know, the, the co-director of those wow. I remember even pre-What You Need, the, the idea, to be honest, the idea for some of those like torn half Xerox, half photograph images that then were animated came from, we were on a plane and we are looking at the Face magazine back then and someone had done a fashion shoot where they'd taken a photograph of someone and then, take, then turned it into a black and white photostat and ripped the photostat and then retaken the photograph, half lined up the photostat with the original image and and sort of looks like a tear, but you see half black and white photostat and half image. And so we were looking at this Face magazine and we were thinking, wouldn't it be great if that was moving, you know? And that's how What You Need came about.
3: This is what This is you Give you
1: From England,
2: you know it's Paul from Sydney. Hi,
1: this is Ella
2: from the Netherlands.
1: This is Dr. Jim, and that's a wrap. All right, B. Well, that's a wrap. How cool was that? We're we're a bit giddy, you know, doing this show. These are the sort of the experiences that that make it all worthwhile for us, and we feel like we're conduits to bringing them to you. Um, but it was such a, a joy having him on, B.
0: Great Really was Really awesome Thank you Hayden For um, persisting On getting him On the show Yeah That was a really good interview I learned so much
1: well, we've got more to come next week, so we look forward to having you do part two with us next week. But um, uh, I guess, you know, also thank you out to the patrons with some of their great questions and things. Yeah,
0: and we'll get those out next week for everybody. We
1: do our best to try and get as many of those in. So thank you to the patrons. But, yeah. uh, speaking of uh, patrons and fan engagement, um, can I give a quick shout-out to one? I'll give Ooh. a quick shout out to Paul Buckley. Ah. A bit of correspondence back and forth with Paul this week. Some of the things that uh, feedback he's given us was just great to, to receive, and uh, I think we replied to you as well, Paul. So keep listening, keep punching. Over to you, B.
0: Yeah, we've got some great patrons, haven't we? We've got a really good, good, good patron who's always engaging with me, called Brett Williams over in um, Hobart. He's yes. great. He's um, and, and actually, thank you to everybody who just keeps donating to us. That reminds me, I'm I'm not allowed to say his name Hayden oh. but somebody has donated something amazing to the show right. very very exciting and I'm not going to tell you anything about it until oh, it's right. in my hand oh, and I'm cry. going to show you okay. but we've got four of them wow I know wow. so when we come off air I'm going to tell you actually <laughs> because I'm too excited Ari's
1: A- 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 initials uh, DJ
0: DJ no
1: Oh, okay. No, no, <laughs> no from, not
0: from Darren for a uh, okay. change. Although I tried to Please involve Darren, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you more later. But it's very exciting. Okay, um, I, I've got a big list today because yep. we had so many posts go out this week because we got excited about how our um, seventy-five thousand hit. God, and someone it was um, Danielle said that is the same as Wembley Stadium. So we've now filled Wembley Stadium We've downloaded Hayden 75,000 oh, wow. and then we've Kirk and everyone came out from woodwork so here's everybody well not everybody here's some people that um, are our top fans so we've got, got Terry Blanche Joseph Julie Dorothy Nancy Danny Diane, Deb Ramsey Lynn Greg Julie Holly Wanda Becky Megan Christine Cheryl Mohammed Elizabeth Patel Tony, Lorna, Lena, Melody, Germany, Rosemary, Rowan, Pat, Ruth, and Jeanette. To a guy on Twitter, and I don't know if you're interested in this. He wants you to go on his show, Hayden.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. He he's called Set Lusting Bruce. Oh, right.
1: Sounds like it sounds like a good uh, porn name,
0: doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Uh. It. Um, and it's a it's a uh, Springsteen fan podcast. Oh,
1: love to go on it. I like Would you the, like to br- go like, on it? Yeah, love All boss. right, I'm going to put yeah. your name
0: forward then, so yes, you can 100%. be. Yeah, I'll porn you out. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I know what you're saying, B. Okay. Uh, you're thinking you're backstage at these <laughs> bloody concerts, aren't you? Okay. James, where are you? James?
0: It's a moving chess. Okay. <laughs>
1: All right. So uh, I'd love to go on that. That'd be yeah, great. Cool. Um, All right. Getting back to auctions, B. What's happening with the framed? There's a postcard and Michael and signatures and this like these. Where's that at at the moment? I've
0: got one more week before that will be ready, Hayden. Right. Think. Okay. So, um, um, But after this-, this week's show, we spoke to... I spoke to Richard and he's going to do something for our patrons with his book. So yes. we will let you know next week a little bit yes. more about that. And um, so if you're a patron, you're in for, um, yeah, uh, 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 something really nice coming from Richard.
1: Well, just to clarify, and I only found out today, I didn't realise that the, uh, Richard Lowenstein did a book on mm. dogs in space as in maybe the making of it and the deep dive and the backdrop to it all. So mm. um, very anxious to get a copy of that. It looks like a really fantastic publication. So, look forward to what he's doing for our patrons with that be that'll be great to announce
0: yes yes it's a it's a beautiful book it's it's quite coffee table like but it's a good read as well it's like a diary um that richard's created um and great photos of michael and behind the scenes so yeah it's a it's a great book so i'm bigging this up but patrons you're in for a treat next week we'll let you know more about that
1: now, a quick shout out, B. Uh, uh, we will be doing part two of the Richard one next week, uh, but also the following week. As I said at the start of the show, we are doing a Scandinavian episode. Now, if you you're from Sweden, Denmark, or Norway, and I'm going to add Finland in because we don't want to leave them out. If you've got an in excess experience and you've got an anecdote, we would love an audio from you and something you could share with the podcast. We would love to hear from anyone in Scandinavia uh, because you guys have been fantastic for our show. You're very loyal listeners. And if you've got family or parents or somebody went on uh, who doesn't even listen to our show, you've got some story, we would love uh, to put it to air and I think be through Messenger and all the different platforms. It's not hard to get an audio sent across the world these days.
0: No, no. Just send it to my Messenger or Hayden's and uh, we can forward it on. That's great. Um, I've just got – Couple more things before we completely wrap If that's okay Two more people I need to mention One is um, Juliet Martin She's having a a terrible time She's um, not well And she's in Tenerife alone um, And um, she's very unwell um, And I said that I would play um, a song to her So I'll just quickly play this little segment for her And then we'll come back And then my other person that I need to say hello to is um, Greg Nugent. Mate, enjoy yourself, have an amazing time and, and tra- travel safely. He is on, he's actually flying himself from Australia to America as we speak. Is um, a, a pilot. So yeah, so good luck with that. Fantastic.
1: All right, we're going to go with a, a couple little tribute songs today uh, in light of sort of talking a little bit about this particular guy and this particular person that was quite important to uh, Richard's life, uh, Troy Davies. Be. I know you had trouble with your Davies and your Davises, okay. But uh, Troy, uh, as we heard a bit earlier in the podcast, was a uh, you know a side sidekick to Richard on a lot of his films and video clips and things. Uh, Rich, Richard actually did a documentary, I think, uh, on Troy later on. But um, uh, I to remember Troy as the guy who spat at the end of listen like these, and I was like, oh, that's a bit grubby. That's not so good. Having known more about Troy and not realizing till a few years later that the same. Guy who did that was the same guy who sung this song and worked with you too and worked with other bands and things. I didn't join the dots till later on, but uh, we're going to go out uh, with this song today and then another song after that but we're going to go with Motorcycle Baby. Now, this was a song that Troy sung vocals on. The film clip's hilarious. Um, John Farris is playing guitar in it. Michael's on a motorbike. Troy's uh, dressed up in drag on the back of it. Uh, it's a real killer song. It's got a great hook in it. Uh, the thing about this was this was right around when Kick had blown up around the world. And uh, I remember watching MTV at the time, B, in Australia. And it's like, oh, NXS are back with a new song. And I'm like, well, it wasn't quite in excess It was sort of... John and you know contributing and Michael and blah 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 yeah this this is a great this is a great song that Troy sings it's called motorcycle baby um, just at the end of it we're going to do a little sort of 30 40 second exit and tribute to the orgies which is the don't change one uh, for Tristan who passed away uh, but b it's a goodbye from me
0: and it's a goodbye from B goodbye everybody
3: hello Need to tell you that, but did you know it's good for you? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's a natural function, an expression of
0: emotion and a release of frustration and anxiety. Be a syllabus, be a bird, be a
3: syllabus, be a sweet.
0: all areas with Hayden